Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, some of the content we deal with around here is kind of serious. You're getting ready for the upcoming season, and you're talking about, you know, who's going to be starting where and who's going to be doing what. And there's, you know, sometimes the show takes on a real newsy feel. You know, you're dealing with sort of big-time news. On other days, though, we just sort of have conversations just for fun. And I think for a couple of minutes here, we're going to do something that's kind of just for fun because I saw something on social media that I thought was really fun, and I think it sets the tone uh, properly for Georgia for this upcoming year. Uh, I really like this, and I think you'll probably like it there as well. It comes from the Twitter feed of Javon Bullard. Of course, we know Bullard is Georgia's one of the most important players. No matter what position he starts at here this year, he's going to be uh, a very key player for UGA. Obviously, was down the stretch, you know, taking home MVP trophies in both the Georgia's college football playoff games there a, a year ago. And he's got his set on another trophy here for the upcoming season, a little bit of individual award accolade he kind of has a taste for based on uh, what he showed on social media for watching on video i'll show this to you and if you're not i'll describe it to you javon bullard on twitter giving you a picture here of the jim thorpe award if you saw that you might know what that is uh first of all that's a really cool looking statue a really nice uh you know rendering of uh thorpe there and of course a lot of you know that the jim thorpe award is the award given out to the nation's best defensive back of course georgia has had thorpe award winners in the kirby smart era before lots of national award winners here for georgia over the course of the last uh few years and bullard puts his hand in the air so to speak to say i plan on being one of the next ones there on that bring home the thorpe award this year and listen I love this kind of stuff from Bullard. I think this is fun. First of all, I always like it when players have a little bit of an appreciation for history, both the history of the award they're chasing or the player that has the award named after them. I just kind of like the idea of players being aware of college football's history. So there's a little bit of a celebration of history there from Javon Bullard that I think is a pretty fun thing. But I also like the idea that someone like Bullard seems to have fully set his sights on the notion of I want to be the very best defensive back in the country for this upcoming season I think that's a good thing now there is a way of thinking about stuff like this where some people might say oh I don't want anybody to think about individual awards I want them to think about the team the team the team well I mean if you watch the way that Javon Bullard plays no one denies that there is no one more into like the team thing than Bullard is more on that in a moment No one is kind of committed to the team, seemingly, more so than Javon Bullard. But here's the one thing we've seen about the perfect formula for a team from Georgia over the course of this last couple of years, that as Kirby Smart has told you, hey, the level of connection these Georgia players have had is one of those big intangible reasons that Georgia's found a way to be the best football team in the country. There is a cultural boost that Georgia sort of seems to get that aids the obviously the prodigious talent that already has but finding a way for those players to kind of coexist with each other and 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 enjoy playing with each other there's a little bit of an intangible cultural boost that georgia has gotten that has aided its talent but that is not to say that's the only thing that matters that hey guys getting along with each other and guys making sacrifices for the team that is not the same thing as saying that's the only thing that matters because here's what we've also seen from georgia over the course of these last couple of years while it has been very well connected and very unselfish and guys really foregoing in some cases what could have been more uh individual glory to kind of focus in on team success at the same time We have seen great teams built on the back of a combination of tremendous individual accomplishments. 
all national champions in kind of this modern era. We'll kind of call that the playoff era dating back to 2014. All of them have sort of had that very high number of first round picks, very high number of all first team all conference and very high number, typically speaking, of contenders for these national awards you know we've seen a couple guys around georgia win the buckus award for the nation's top linebacker uh georgia had a heisman finalist a year ago georgia laughably has not yet won the joe moore award for the nation's top offensive line but they certainly should have and i think that guess what they finished twice uh you know twice second twice now the point is is that the idea of buller chasing down the thorpe award this is sort of what great teams have Great teams have individual players that play great. And if you don't have a handful of players sort of playing at that national award level kind of kind of pace, if you don't have players performing at that level, then you're going to probably fall short of winning a national championship. Great teams have to have a collection of individual players who also have great seasons, and a lot of this is measured by those individual awards. And listen, I hope that Bullard does win the, the award for the nation's top defense back this year. But if he doesn't win that, there's obviously also a chance that George could produce another Buckus Award winner this year. It could be Jamon Dumas-Johnson. It could be Smile Mondin. I'd say they're both kind of in line for that. Laughably, at some point in time, you'd love to see uh, you know, Georgia have the nation's best offensive line as recognized by the Joe Moore Award. Uh, the fact that Georgia hasn't won it either the last two years sort of speaks to more of a problem with the Joe Moore Award than it does with the Georgia offensive line. This seems to be more of an example of the award not recognizing UGA than it is Georgia not doing enough to be recognized. Obviously, Brock Bowers was honored this past Saturday as the Mackey Award winner, nation's top tight end from a year ago. We think he could come back and win that again. But either way, you got to have a collection of national award winner contenders at least uh first team all conference guys all american type guys future first round pick type guys you've got to have a collection of those kinds of guys if you want to win a national championship and the idea that bullard is sort of putting his hand in the air and say hey you follow me follow my lead as i pursue an award like this we think that's pretty appropriate given how valuable javon bullard has proven to be for georgia as i mentioned a moment ago I don't know that anyone has better demonstrated kind of the team vibe of I'm going to go out there and do whatever it takes to help my team win playing incredibly physical, playing incredibly tough, playing incredibly tenaciously, if that's a word, uh, really throughout the college ball playoff a year ago. And I think also with his words, setting the right tone as well for what it means to play for Georgia and the idea of what Georgia has its sights set on here this upcoming season as it tries to go for three and 23. In fact, let me give you an example of this going back a little while ago here. Uh, Javon Buller kind of talking about Georgia and uh, the mood that, that he has about the opportunity to be a part of a program that he clearly has such great respect for. So national award in uh, Bullard's future, maybe so. You get the idea if he did win an award like that, he'd have a chance to make an amazing speech based on some things that he said in the very recent past, including Javon Bullard right here on just how much playing for Georgia means to him. Just wearing this G, uh, like we said in the room, this G is darn it just important as your last name. This G is, is very important, and um, people love and respect this G. And you gotta, it's, it's an honor, it's an honor for us, man, to wear this G. So you gotta respect it, whether you're on the field, out the field, and you just gotta do what you gotta do in order to um, just not bring a bad name to this G and to your last name itself. So you really just gotta watch what you do, watch your surroundings, and just keep your head full. 
My guess is that Georgia fans were already rooting for Javon Bullard to win the Thorpe Award as the nation's best defensive back. But when you hear him saying things like that about how much that G on the side of the helmet means to him and how much that he works to make sure that he brings honor to that G the same way he'd worked to bring honor to his last name, if you weren't already rooting for him to win the uh, Thorpe Award or whatever other award he could get his hands on, quotes like that I'm sure would make you root for him even more and get you even more excited about the idea of a very big season for Javon Bullard which kind of leads us to our next portion of this conversation that if if Bullard really is going to be in contention for the award for the nation's top defensive back here this year seemingly he'll be doing so with the idea of playing a slightly different position for Georgia this season than he was a year ago in which he was mostly the star the nickelback the extra defensive back that's on the field a couple of weeks ago here on our show Terrence Edwards the great former Georgia wide receiver had told us that he'd gone to Georgia practice had seen some of the things that Georgia was doing one of the things that he'd seen at the time was Javon Buller was working at that safety position a little bit of a position switch at least based on those reps during practice for Bullard uh, playing safety instead of star and the opportunity to play safety had opened the door for Tyke Smith a former uh, you know all-american level player at West Virginia who transferred to Georgia maybe had some growing pains in his first couple of years on campus dealt with an actual injury as well so he had some you know real pain from that but it seems like the shift for Bullard was open the door for Tyke Smith to also play the star spot and on Saturday, watching G-Day, some of what Terrence had said that he'd seen during Georgia practice, we were also seeing ourselves there on the field on Saturday in front of the TV audience, in front of the fans in the stands. So it seems like as Bullard sets his sight on being the top defensive back, he may be doing so as a safety as opposed to at kind of that star nickelback position. After the game on Saturday, Kirby Smart kind of talked about the way in which these defensive backs are being shifted around right now. Bullard getting those snaps at safety, what that means for other guys and the competition that's ongoing there. This is what Kirby Smart said about that after the game on Saturday. Yeah, well, we've got a three-way deal going at safety with, with David Daniel, Malachi, and uh, um, Javon. And those guys rotate and play there. Um, hope to get Dan Jackson back there, who's played and started there at that position. And, and Tyke's worked there as well. Um, Tyke and Bullard can both play star. We felt like we needed to invest reps in Bullard to create some safety depth where we're short. Um, and every rep that Bullard wasn't taking star, that was allowing him to develop as a safety and we need uh, more stars. And plus we wanted to get uh, Jonell as much nickel star work and Marcus as much nickel star work. And if we left Bullard there, it would have eaten up some of those reps. So you're just trying to develop depth on your roster. And that's really what we're doing with those guys to try to create some safeties that can play for us. So if you're scoring at home, it's a little bit hard to sort of sort of sort all that out. Here, this guy's going here, this guy's going there. So let me see if I can sort of sum all this up and kind of simplify this to kind of close this out. We know that Javon Bullard's one of the very best players in the country, no matter what position he plays. Nickelback, what they call the star, safety, whatever else. He's going to be great wherever he is, we believe, just based on how he's played uh, for Georgia last season. But it sounds like Georgia has plans right now to consider him a safety, and Bullard seems comfortable enough there that he's got his sights maybe set on winning that Thorpe Award for the, here this upcoming season, which kind of leads you to what I think is one of the fun stories for Georgia this spring away from Bullard, the fact that Tyke Smith is emerged enough at that nickelback star position 
that Georgia feels comfortable making the position move for uh, Javon Buller. Now, that's not to say that David Daniel won't be heard from. And as Kirby Smart said, an incoming freshman like Janelle Aguero seemingly got to try to find a spot on the field for him somewhere. And of course, Dan Jackson, when healthy, wants to be a part of this competition there as well. But Tyke Smith seems to be a guy that has kind of finally come into his own there at UGA maybe even occupying the position that Javon Bullard had last season. With Bullard now moving to safety, he could kind of become what is next in a line of very, very impressive safeties at Georgia. Guys like Christopher Smith or Lewis Seen before that or Richard LeCount before that or J.R. Reed before that. The kinds of guys that could have gotten All-American consideration, National Award consideration, uh, Javon Bullard seems to be next in line for that. Maybe as a safety, possibly as a Thorpe Award winner. After what you saw from Bullard a year ago, I would suggest anything is possible. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management, and happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Of course, we start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Taking your comments there, I, will, I told our video audience a little earlier, I was about a minute or so late getting on the uh, full video feed today, just because I kind of got lost in my thoughts doing our first and 15. Sometimes that happens, and... If you've never gotten a chance to join us right there on dognation.com, thousands of you do each and every day, and I'm so thankful for that. But if you haven't gotten a chance to do that, we give you a little extra content over there. It's our special way of saying, hey, thanks for making that rollout brand new platform for us, or at least relatively new platform for us. So successful. A little bit of extra content for you who join us right there on our own site, dognation.com, the Dognation app. We really appreciate that. Of course, radio, 960 The Ref, podcast every single podcast platform i think you can find you can find us there as well and we love all of that all right so uh also big thanks to our friends at breda pest management make this possible today there as well you know they are the official pest control provider of uga athletics that means if you're in sanford stadium on saturday you see that big stadium there just know it's protected by breda pest management from bugs and critters termites whatever else uh breda protects them there on that and they can provide the same level of protection and service for you as well they've been in business since 1975 got 125 employees and what's cool is when you're that successful of a company when you're that you know large of a company been business doing it as well as they have for such a long time what they want to do is allow you to kind of lean on their strength and their resources and leverage that for your benefit to save you money to literally put more money back in your pocket immediately once you make the switch to Breda Pest Manager. And that, my friends, is a very, very good thing. So what I want you to do is I want you to find them online at BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. Make the switch. Trust them for your termite protection, you know, bugs, critters, all that kind of stuff. This is the time of year when it seems like there's just more of that going around and going on uh, than maybe other times of the year. So maybe you're thinking about that pest control provider that you have, and frankly, maybe you're not that satisfied with them, either because the cost of service is going up or the quality of service is seemingly going down. That's not going to be the case with our friends at Breda Pest Management. Make the switch, make yourself happier, put more money back in your pocket. You owe it to yourself to do that. BredaPest.com uh, online. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com for a lot more on that. All right, we're going to talk to uh, Mike Griffith here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, we're going to go around the doghouse here. And there is one thing I've kind of noticed about some Georgia fans lately, and I think this is kind of fun. Um, there's a little bit of a battle cry that's emerged, and it's mostly kind of funny, and it's meant to be sarcastic, but it kind of works pretty well here. And so around the doghouse, I want to kind of point this out here and tell you why I think this matters. So the other day I was joking about something online, and I saw a lot of Georgia fans respond back to me saying, well, I guess that means Georgia's going 7-5 and five again this year. Ha, 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 ha. 
And there was something else that happened where you had kind of the same thing going on of, I, I get, well, that's it, seven and five. That's, that, that's what Georgia's going to be. And all of this is a little bit of a callback to the national championship where after the game was over with, some of the Georgia players were walking around like, y'all said we were going to be seven and five and we went out there and proved you wrong. And, you know, while there was, you know, some doubt about Georgia last season, uh, when we've chronicled that, I don't know that anyone really said that Georgia was going to be seven and five. So that's kind of turned into kind of the joking thing that Georgia fans say. Anytime there's the least bit of a slight out there about Georgia, well, there you go, seven and five again for this upcoming season. Now, we also kind of gave you the uh, story of this the other day there as well, that the genesis for the whole Georgia's going to go seven and five in 2022, that came from Georgia outside linebacker, former outside linebacker Nolan Smith. And Nolan Smith went on the Saturday Down South podcast and admitted that he essentially made the whole thing up. Now, this is important for where we need to go today. Nolan saying the whole idea of being in seven and five, and you've heard this clip on this show before, was a little bit of a work of fiction on his behalf. This was Nolan Smith with Saturday Down South a few days ago. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to create the own narrative, man. Sometimes, you know, you got to put the chip on your own shoulder. But we did have a humongous target on our back, as we saw in the Missouri game. Yeah, you know, sometimes you got to juice it up for the guy, especially when you're old man last year. I just wanted everybody to know. I said it I said it the whole summer. They're going to think we're going 75, guys. They ain't even thinking about a 2P. So you made that entire thing up. You just picked that out of the air. You're like, all right, I'm just going to throw 7 and 5. That sounds disrespectful enough. Yeah, 7 and 5 is, like, disrespectful enough. And that's what, like, Coach Smart did. I think not to disrespect any of the other teams, but I think Coach Smart went like eight and four, like his first year. So I was like, yeah, seven and five though sounds better. And it sounds better off the tongue. Seven and five, seven and five. So Nolan's a very good storyteller. What he says there is just kind of funny about how he kind of came up with the idea of Georgia being seven and five in 2022. But what we said is that while Nolan may have made up that story, there were certainly plenty of examples last year of Georgia truly being slotted. I don't know that anyone said they were going to go 7-5, and five, but you had Takeo Spikes saying that Georgia would lose to South Carolina. You had Chris Doring saying that Georgia would lose to Kentucky. You had seemingly the entire world the week of the game saying that Georgia would lose to Tennessee. You know, on and on you want to go with that. There were some doubters prior to the Oregon game. You had some people even on our, you know, uh, around here saying they'd be lucky to win the SECs. I mean, you had a lot of stuff being said prior to last season that could have kind of gone into you know the doubter category. And, and my point is, and, and not, not to mention the fact that Georgia was not preseason number one last year either. You can kind of call that a doubt as well. So my point is that while Nolan said you know he sort of made up the whole seven and five thing. There was certainly plenty of doubt about Georgia last season that was not a work of fiction. And maybe you got an example of that here for this upcoming season there as well. Now, some of you care about like the fancy stat analytic stuff. Some of you don't. I've probably you know grown to care less about this stuff over the course of uh, time. But nonetheless, ESPN has released its preseason football power index ratings for the upcoming year. All of this is sort of based on kind of per play data, you know, fancy stat type stuff. And Georgia, you might be surprised to know, is not preseason number one based on the math nerd stuff there at ESPN. Let me show you the rankings here. Then I'm going to give you a quote from ESPN kind of explaining itself and kind of where it comes on this. Georgia coming in at number three based on the preseason FBI. Now, our friends on three made a nice graphic here. So I threw that on the screen. So I appreciate on three making this graphic. But nonetheless, you got Ohio State at one, Bama at two, Georgia's at three. 
LSU's at four. Texas, who's never any worse than five. I don't. It's amazing they lose 100 games every year, but they're never any worse than five. They come at five on this list. Michigan six, USC seven, uh, Clemson eight. But the fact that Georgia is third, the same way in the human polls they were a year ago behind Ohio State and Alabama. Here they are behind them uh, once again as well on all of that. Now, in the write-up, and it's actually a fairly interesting story. It's probably worth reading at ESPN.com if you want to. I'll put a link to this a little bit later on. In the write-up on this at ESPN, they kind of explain themselves of why it is they've got Ohio State ranked ahead of Alabama and Georgia in their rankings here right now. And if you're a Georgia fan, I'm not really quite so sure what you do with this, but I think you probably put this in the same sort of doubting category uh, that you kind of found some stuff a year ago, even if most of this is sort of done by calculators. Nonetheless, it sort of feels like, you know, this is kind of, you know, room to say, hey, more doubt out there for Georgia. Let me give you a quote here from Seth Walder, who wrote the piece there at uh, ESPN.com about why it is that Ohio State's number one. And listen how impressed these uh, calculators are with the uh, Buckeyes. He says, so what makes the Buckeyes so dangerous in 2020? even relative to sec powerhouses like alabama and georgia for starters the best non-quarterback offensive returning production in the nation fpi makes the buckeyes the best offense in the nation by a decent margin defensively the buckeyes rank third they don't quite boast the talent levels that fpi sees in georgia or alabama but the margin is smaller and thus the buckeyes the best overall team georgia's defense ranks number one in fpi rating now listen to this so he says that Georgia's defense ranks number one in FPI rating, driven more by historical performance by the unit than anything else. A little bit of a, I don't know, it seems like a backhanded compliment. Am I, am I being overly sensitive by saying that? But nonetheless, that's Seth Walder from ESPN. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. Most of this is just sort of like math nerd stuff. Almost none of us could sort of explain the exact formula that leads Ohio State to be one, Alabama to be two, Georgia to be three. But it does sort of remind us a little bit of what the human polls were saying a year ago there as well when Alabama and Ohio State were both ranked ahead of Georgia and by the end of the season that seemed laughable as Georgia coasted its way to a national championship and oh yeah by the way this unstoppable Ohio State offense that uh you know the ESPN FPI stuff is bragging about right there what we saw in the Peach Bowl was is that Georgia's offense was capable of playing just as well if not better than Ohio State there in that spot so Georgia fans I don't think are going to be all that nervous about Seth Walder from ESPN talking about how uh the uh numerical calculations make the ohio state offense the best by what does he say a, a decent margin there in all of that and like before we move on and, and kind of you know wrap all this up i'll acknowledge this listen for some of you you're really into all this kind of stuff and obviously for those of us who care about gambling you have to care about this stuff a little bit because the same way in which these power ratings are tabulated the same kind of power ratings that lead to point spreads they're at least pretty similar in all of that but there's also a huge pocket of our audience. All they care about are the games on the field. And in the games on the field, we haven't seen Georgia lose in more than 500 days. So the fact that, you know, the ESPN FPI gives two other teams at least a chance of winning the national championship that is greater than what Georgia's is, we would say that your formula is only as good as the data that you're inputting. And so if what you're inputting into your formula is producing something other than Georgia at number one, then you probably need to change your input or you probably need to change your formula. You probably need to change something because as the old phrase goes, it looks like garbage in, garbage out for Georgia fans who've seen their team do nothing but win the last two years, uh, but they can't seem to rank any higher than third preseason in the FPI data. So here's the point and we'll wrap up. So this upcoming year, when Georgia goes 15-0 and and wins the national championship again, if they do, and on the field after that game, if Georgia players say, y'all doubt us again, but we went out and proved you wrong again, 
if you see more stuff like this pop up, you can't say that's not true. Nolan Smith may have made up the seven and five thing, but there's plenty of other criticism out there or doubts or or you know touting of other teams that went on that made that real enough that it could be believed and maybe the espn preseason fbi is another example of maybe that starting up again for the uh, new year there as well we'll have more on this later on the show as it relates to some of georgia's opponents because there's also some interesting stuff there on that too but for now here on dog nation daily presented by breda pass management we'll also get ready to kind of turn our attention back to what else we learned from g-day on saturday a guy who was watching all of that quite closely was our buddy mike griffith and so we'll hear from him on that i'm sure he'll have plenty to say about you know kind of where georgia sits to begin the upcoming season too so we'll allow him to uh do that as well and before we're done uh for our golden shoe today a uh terrific georgia recruit has a very interesting reason why he might potentially choose uga we'll do that as part of our golden shoe to wrap things up here today but for now on dog nation daily presented by breda pass management as we do each and every wednesday let's talk to mike griffith right now From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So as promised, we'll talk to Mike Griffith about G-Day here coming up in a moment. But Mike, before we do that, let me bring you into the discussion I was just having. ESPN preseason football power index comes out. Now listen, not everybody cares about the analytics stuff. and I'm not really quite so sure you necessarily should. Uh, it's your choice to decide how much this matters to you. But the ESPN calculators put Georgia third behind both Alabama and Ohio State based on their analytics information. Uh, what'd you make of that, Mike? Oh, that was interesting. You know, I mean, it is, like you said, it's based on recruiting rankings largely. And, you know, it doesn't take into account the amount of experience that Carson and Brock have been building up working with Todd Munkin for two years and their knowledge and the doesn't take into account the continuity of the staffs and you know the momentum of the programs i'm always to me it's i've never put a whole lot of stock into that f and p you know recruiting rankings to me are kind of flawed because you don't know who's going to leave the program i mean you might have a great recruiting class and all of a sudden you know that five star leaves the program um so you know that take into account i don't know if it takes into account the schedules but it did that, that would be alarming because Georgia also has the best schedule next year. About time they catch a break. But uh, not much. I didn't think much of it. It's trivial. Yeah, to me, though, it kind of ties back into what, you know, people want to discuss and debate about a year ago is that, as we said around here, while Nolan Smith may have made up the whole 7-5 and five thing, there was certainly plenty of, I think, you know, on-the-record public doubt of Georgia last season after losing 15 draft picks and everything else that was said uh, that was certainly very real. And I would say that something like this probably kind of falls in that same bucket, at least in the eyes maybe of some Georgia players. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like this year's motivation is going to be different. I think this year it's a lot of the Devin Willick, Chandler, LaCroix emotion and the standards that these guys are holding themselves to and kind of doubling down on playing for the G. You know, that's kind of what I picked up on this spring. A lot of players talking about the G and what it means to recommit to playing for a program of this ilk. And uh, to me, it's going to be it's a different kind of motivation. And I could be wrong. I'm not in the locker room. But, you know, listening to the players talk, Look, they know that they're expected. They know they're a preseason number one. I don't think, you know, it's going to be that, you know, I have to earn my respect thing so much of it. We've got to honor the program we play for and play to the standard, you know, that Devin Willick would have played at had he been given a chance. 
Uh, as far as turning your attention to G-Day here for a moment, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about quarterbacks, so I guess we'll start there. I thought that Carson Beck had a very good day on Saturday. In, in some respects, he may have even had a slightly better day than I uh, anticipated him having. It uh, seems pretty clear to me right now that he's destined to be the uh, Georgia quarterback for the upcoming season. I didn't think that Vandegrift Stockton necessarily had bad days. I just thought that, you know, Carson Beck looked older, more experienced, and more probably game ready to start here in 2023. What was your overall take on the quarterback situation, Mike? Well, I would ask you this. Do you think Brock Vandergriff would have looked better if he had Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkey to throw to like Carson did the first half? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, uh, in, in fairness, you know, I don't know that Vandergriff had the, the greatest start to his second half when he got a chance to work with that number one offense. Uh, so, I mean, clearly, you know, it's a good thing to be the starting quarterback with the red team offense when you're going up against defense it's missing probably four starters and everything else you know kind of hamstrung by the sort of g-day format so you know Carson probably benefited a little bit from who he was uh playing with but you know Brock did have his chance with that uh red team in the uh, second half and at least the beginning of the second half I don't know that went quite as well yeah there were no targets I saw those guys had 92 out of Carson's 214 yards passing and and I think that's a factor. So I, I think that Brock looked, or excuse me, I think Carson looked great. Um, I thought he looked as good as he could look. Uh, smooth. Didn't really have any pressure, Brandon. Didn't really face any adversity. Didn't get chased out of the pocket like Vandegrift did. Had Brock Bowers out there. Had Lad McConkey. Um, you know, like you said, the advantage of being the first guy. And, and, and let's be honest, I mean, it went like it was supposed to go. Because if Carson Beck doesn't do well, then he's probably transferring. If we're sitting here saying Brock Vandergrift looked a lot better, then, then we're probably having some nervous moments. So I think it went exactly like it was supposed to go. I left that afternoon feeling very good about both quarterbacks. I saw Brock do some things, extending plays. Um, I'm kind of you know in agreement with Jake Fromm, kind of the bigger, stronger, better, Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett on steroids, whatever you want to say. Um, he did have one pick. And he talked about that. He said, hey, I've got to get better. I feel like, you know, I'm trying to have my arm catch up for my decision-making. Uh, he feels a little slow on the decision-making still. But I see a lot of upside there. And, you know, Kirby talked about Brock having four drop passes, and, and he did. You know, Delp dropped a couple of them. I don't know if he's feeling the pressure from Lawson Lucky or what. But, um, yeah, I thought Brock was fine. Uh, I felt good about both of those guys. But, yes, clearly – Carson out, you know, looked much better. But I thought Carson looked better than Stetson last year. I mean, Stetson was what fifteen to thirty-five with two picks in the spring game, and Carson looked really good last year. So I think he's a super talented guy. I think that uh, you know nothing would surprise me though. Like we could be talking in November about Carson Beck being a Heisman Trophy candidate. It would not surprise me. Or we could be in November talking about. Carson Beck and Brock Vandergrift both having played really well during the course of the season and that wouldn't surprise me either yeah you know I watched you know uh, Brock a lot on Saturday from our perspective of you know fairly early in this game I I, you know on Saturday I kind of came to the conclusion of okay well you know Carson looks really comfortable here this looks like it might be his job and so therefore I started watching Brock more from the standpoint of 
okay, well, what if Georgia needed to play him? What if Georgia needed to put him in a game? You know, could you do something with a Brock Vandergrift? And I think the answer to that question is, yeah, you could. So to me, what may be happening for Georgia this spring is after a few years, the quarterback situation kind of being a little bit weird at Georgia and uh, yep. certainly taking some un- unpredictable twists and turns along the way, really over the course of the last probably, what, you know, three seasons, four seasons maybe even, um, but certainly three seasons. Um, things may be getting a little bit more sensible now where the older quarterback seems to be the guy ready to start. The next oldest may be in line to be the backup right now. And if Carson Beck is a very good starter, I think he has a chance to be. I think it could be the case that Brock Vandegrift has a chance to be a capable backup. And I saw enough from Gunnar Stockton on Saturday to suggest that he could also have a very bright future and certainly a, a contender to be starting quarterback at Georgia one day. But it seems like, if nothing else, that things at Georgia are getting to be a little bit more sensible, a little bit more predictable, where the older guy is the starter, the next oldest guy is kind of a capable backup, and I think that's what Vandergrift could be. I think he could – yeah, I think both quarterbacks look really good. You know, the question for me about Carson didn't really get answered, and that was what happens when adversity strikes, right? You know, because the thing I keep in mind is that there were two other scrimmages that we didn't see. We do know in the first one Carson threw three interceptions. Uh, and Kirby used the word bonehead. Now, we don't know how much adversity Kirby created in that first scrimmage, but I do think it's fair to say that Kirby didn't want to create a lot of adversity for his offense or his quarterbacks with a national television audience tuned in. So that was kind of my thought. You know, my, my concern about Carson is not the ceiling. I think he's got a very high ceiling. He's, an NFL, he's got NFL arm talent. You know, he's got more talent than a lot of guys that have been in the – he might be – Gosh, ultimately, he might have the best arm talent of any of the Kirby Smart quarterbacks, arm talent-wise. But what happens when things go wrong? That's what the question has been with Carson. And how consistent can he be? That's been the other question. Now, that's coming from teammates. That's coming from Kirby Smart. That's coming from what we've witnessed. We know Carson Beck has a very, very, very high ceiling. The question is, how low is the floor? And then the other question becomes, and you've heard Kirby talk about that in terms of making the quarterback fit the scheme. And, you know, the receiver. Mike, let me, Mike let me interrupt you because you said the other question is, and then you got broken up. So would you mind saying that again? The other question is, uh, yeah. s- say what that was, please. Yeah, the other question is what type of offense do they want to run? You know, and, and how much mobility do you really need out of that position? They're both somewhat mobile. But if you're going to run a lot of RPOs and run a similar system as you did with Setson, I do think Brock fits that description, but I, but I'm with you. I'm, I'm not upset in the apple cart today. I think Beck is the number one. I think Vandergriff's the number two. I would just say stay tuned because I think they're both very capable, and I agree with the point you made. I think this is the best quarterback situation for depth, really probably since the start of 2021 when you know JT and Stetson and Carson were all healthy. Uh, what else at G-Day jumped out at you is interesting, Mike? Either side of the ball, you know, going away from quarterback, what else was on your mind after Saturday? Well, I just thought Kirby's, you know, I was just so impressed with the way he scripted it. I mean, he got so much out of that scrimmage. Um, we saw so many of the things that we needed to see. It was unfortunate that the running backs, you know, weren't really there. I, I, I did think young Roderick Robinson, though, he really carried a load. He had 11 carries and three catches. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good workload for a true freshman. I thought he looked good. Um, it's unfortunate we heard the news about Branson Robinson. He didn't play in the game. Obviously, Kendall's out. 
they limited the day, they limited Dejan quite a bit. We're used to seeing him being the workhorse. Uh, love the way Dominic Lovick looked. Uh, in line with everything I've seen and heard, looks like a game breaker. Looked a half a step ahead of every the Muse kid. I mean, how cool is that that you've got a preferred walk on with a breakout performance in the return game as well as at receiver and then defensively. Uh, you know, Javon Bullard was everywhere. Tyke Smith lived up to the billing as a potential breakout guy. I, I just thought it was a, a glorious afternoon of football. I thought it really went really, really well. And if anything, I thought they maybe concealed love it a little bit. I mean, like you said, you know, they had the one play where, you know, he certainly looked, you know, the athletic part. But, you know, I don't know that Dominic was as big a part of the game on Saturday as some people maybe anticipated him being, just given how much kind of behind-the-scenes chatter there had been about him throughout spring practice. So that sort of leads me to believe that, hey, maybe Georgia didn't want to fully reveal just how much of a part of this offense that Dominic Lovett has a chance to be. Now, listen, I, th- I still think that Georgia's deep at tight end. I think those guys have a big role in this team uh, here this year. And obviously, you know, Georgia's got a collection of wide receivers that probably give them a more diverse, you know, receiving room than they probably had at any point in time. But, you know, we're led to believe that Dominic Lovett, based on the numbers that he put up last year in Missouri, has a chance to be a real big part of this. And I think if anything on Saturday, that was uh, almost intentionally hidden because I don't know that he played as big a role in this game as we thought that he might, you know, just kind of based on how much talk he'd already generated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I absolutely, you know, it's like Brock Vandergriff told us after the game, they were pretty vanilla on defense, we were pretty vanilla on offense. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why I think Kirby's such a genius because he didn't reveal much and yet he got so much accomplished and really showcased the program on ESPN, too. I mean, look, that was a big recruiting afternoon. And, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to wonder, well, maybe this Georgia program might stick around for a minute. Yeah, you know, so. I mean, so much of the narrative is Alabama. And now Georgia is really flexing its muscle is, you know, maybe this, like I said, maybe this program's going to win a, another national title, be a dynasty. I think a lot of people tuned in, and I thought they saw a really, really good product uh, offensively and defensively without – as you said, without Kirby really having to show a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things, and we'll get ready to wrap up after this, but this is one of the things that I think I want you and I to do next week because we're going to have a conversation that airs on our show next week while we're on the cruise, and that's really kind of one of the things I want to talk to you about is you know, kind of what the landscape around Georgia looks like right now. Obviously, we think that Georgia's in pretty good shape here moving the upcoming season and trying to figure out you know what it's competing with I think is pretty fascinating here. You know, Georgia's got – you know, an interesting road test fairly early in the year against Auburn. You talk about, you know, Carson Beck's facing adversity. You know, a game like that is where adversity could strike. Even if Auburn's not very good, that could be, you know, a loud stadium there that day. And, you know, looking at what Georgia might face and what we expect to be the final year of divisions, the SEC West winner that could face what we believe will be an SEC East champion Georgia in the SEC championship. It seems like right now the least talked about team in all of college football would appear to be LSU. You know, we talk about who was disrespected and has been disrespected I think the team that's actually been disrespected the most thus far this offseason is probably LSU at the expense of a lot of praise for Alabama so is it Bama or is it LSU that Georgia will be likely to face in the SEC championship Mike that's one of those things that I hope that you and I will get a chance kind of get into a little bit more on next week's show because I think what's happening around Georgia is almost just as interesting as what's happening at Georgia here over the course of the rest of this offseason Oh, man, there's no doubt. And isn't it great? Isn't the view from the top of the college football world wonderful when, when you're just as interested in the other programs around you because you know that Georgia's going to be there in the end? I mean, you know, in my 30 years of covering college football, Brandon, 
you know, this is when it's best, when you're covering a truly elite program and you're dialed in with what other schools are doing. Because you know they're the challengers, right? It's almost like, you know, who's going to get fed to the Lions this week? Georgia being the Lions. And it is curious. Uh, LSU is the team. I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, but, but people are slow to change. They, there's, Brandon, there's people that are arguing with me over whether or not Kirby Smart is the best coach in college football right now. I'm not talking about all time. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I'm saying right now. Yeah. And I can't think of another sport where a coach wins two national championships in a row or Super Bowls or World Series, and he's not considered the best. It's so fascinating to me that, that people want to fight about who's best right now when, you know, Nick Saban's had the best quarterback in college football the last two years. He's got nothing to show for it. Georgia won two national titles with a walk-on. Now, how, how does that not translate to Kirby Smart being the best coach right now? So I, I don't get it. You know, it's like, okay, well, I guess they're just going to have to do it again. And, and I'm just so excited to cover a program trying to win a third straight title because there's only been four other times programs have had that opportunity in the modern era. I mean, just the fact. So you better get busy designing the next T-shirts. What I'm telling you, I like it with some kind of three on it, Brandon. Oh, I like it. We got it. Wait, listen. We got go for three and twenty-three T-shirts on the way here very soon. No, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> hey, Mike, I appreciate your time today. Look forward to many more fun conversations, including on board Independence of the Seas next week for the Dog Nation cruise. So uh, have a great day, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. All right, look forward to it, Brandon. Thanks. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So let me make a quick point about the idea of Kirby as the best college football coach that uh, Mike was saying there. Uh, obviously, we've said here that we do think it's time to rank Kirby Smart as college football's best coach. We did not say that a year ago, though. One national championship, not enough to overtake Nick Saban in our mind. Back-to-back national championships for now, uh, especially given the fact that Alabama, over the course of the last two years, seemingly has regressed a little bit as a program, at least based on the current snapshot of this. Um, yeah, ranking Kirby number one seems to make some sense. Here's what I'll also tell you, too, and this kind of gets into a sort of a deeper philosophical, I guess, uh, uh, angle on some of these, you know, hot take sports arguments, is that the notion of some so-and-so being a GOAT, that's the kind of thing you probably ought to change your mind slowly on. Greatest of all time encompasses, obviously, all of history. So someone becoming the GOAT, you know, the best ever, that's the kind of thing that happens slowly. But the best of the moment, we would say that's the kind of thing that could happen quickly. That's the kind of thing that could then change quickly, that there ought to be some movement with that. Maybe I'll give you an example. If we're having this conversation after the 2018 season, there may have been some people at the time who may have been about ready to say, hey, maybe Dabo Sweeney is the best coach in college football. Because at that point in time, he'd won two national championships around that period. Clemson had been a fixture in the college football playoff. But since then, that's going to change. You know, they have not been in the college ball playoff, and it's left to kind of conclude: Are they still kind of in that perennial playoff contender stand, you know, standpoint status? This season will kind of determine that. But changing your opinion on Dabo now doesn't make you any less wrong. Back in 2018, 2019, when with two national championships and a string of consecutive playoff appearances, you sort of thought of Dabo maybe as a coach kind of on par with Nick Saban. These things sometimes have a tendency not to last. So. We don't know how long that Kirby Smart will rank as the best coach in college football. It could happen forever, and eventually he could be himself sort of thought of as the greatest of all time. That, you know, things could change. Someone else could emerge. A new threat could pop up if you're a Georgia fan, or maybe Georgia will just kind of find this current level of success difficult to sustain. 
But based on the way things look right now, based on, you know, the success that Georgia's had, the snapshot of the moment, yeah, of course, Kirby Smart currently is the best coach in college football. I think that's a uh, certainly a very fair argument to make. Here's another argument I'll make for you. No one's going to have more fun than us next week when we're on board Independence of the Seas for the second ever cruise with Dog Nation. Boy, we've got hundreds of you coming on board with us. Y'all, I am so excited about this. We've had so many meetings. I'm doing so much stuff behind the scenes, sort of get ready for it. It means like packing my you know, gear and my luggage and stuff like that, just kind of getting ready to go on that. I love it. I just love the excitement of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And I am so happy next week to be able to share this with so many of you. Now, my earnest wish would be we could share it all together. We can't do that, obviously. But the next best thing is, is that you can hear about the fun we're slated to have and the fun we will have next week when we're on board. And you can make plans to enjoy your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Jessica Slater is a great travel agent to help you do just that. We believe a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is made even better when a great travel agent kind of helps you plan it. And Jessica Slater was a travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. So I encourage you to give her a call. 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. Do like I do. I sort of start my search for a Royal Caribbean cruise on Who's going to Coco Cay? Perfect day, Coco Cay. Who's going to be there at Perfect Day, Coco Cay? Uh, that private island right there in the Bahamas. And really, all of my cruise searches sort of begin with that. So if you want to do like I do, Jessica can help you with that. Whether it be a three-night stay, a four-night stay, a big seven-night stay, one of the Oasis-class ships, whatever your choice is, go to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. We're going to be there next week in the Bahamas, that great private island. You can enjoy that there, too. So make sure you check out Jessica for more on that. All right, with that said, let's go cruise around the SEC. And I want to look back here at the uh, FPI here just for a moment. And I want to kind of focus in on some of the other SEC teams uh, that are in here. And I kind of tip my hand on one part of this. And Michael, I know you got a couple of these graphics. You can show whichever one you want. Here it is, official from the ESPN site. Actually, give me the full top 25 if you don't mind. Um, there you go. Uh, so here we got a top 20. So I told you LSU at number four. Of all the teams that are being disrespected here this offseason, I don't know that anyone's being disrespected more so than LSU. Now, I don't mean this because Alabama numerically ranks ahead of them or Georgia numerically ranks ahead of them. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is that the other day, you know, ESPN kind of did a survey of its riders about the college football playoff, and best I can remember, no one picked LSU at all, despite the fact that LSU beat Alabama head-to-head -head last season, despite the fact that they do rank high enough, you know, analytically to be kind of top four here. Uh, you know, if you do the Vegas power rating stuff later on this summer, you're going to see LSU, you know, prohibitive point spread favorite against almost every team that it plays. Uh, I think there's a chance LSU's got two quarterbacks on its roster better than anything that Alabama has. You know, LSU can't seem to find any kind of chatter anywhere. Not to mention the fact they sort of fit the mold, the profile of the kinds of teams that have played well in the SEC in the past. Brian Kelly may have had more first-year success last year than some folks anticipated, but it's really year two. Oftentimes, when, when a lot of programs sort of break out with a new coach, which sort of sets Brian Kelly up for that success there as well. It could be the team that we're just not talking about nearly enough right now truly is LSU. Now, I think the best version of LSU probably is a little bit of a combination of uh, Jaden Daniels, who I don't think by himself is probably a playoff-level quarterback. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, who I was very impressed with in the second half of the SEC championship a year ago. I think most of us were. Daniels, when he's healthy, his athleticism is elite. You pair that with what to me seems to be a, a very competent thrower and Garrett Nussmeyer if you can find a way for those two quarterbacks to coexist you may have something truly special at the quarterback position at LSU 
Uh, but but that, to me, probably requires both those guys at least playing some to be able to do that, something that a lot of teams don't like to do, but maybe LSU, maybe they should do that. I'll also give you one more note on the Tigers here for a moment. I've seen some kind of weird stuff coming out of there this spring. Now, oftentimes... <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff coming out of LSU. This is less weird than that. But Harold Perkins, who was a freshman last year, became a real force, especially in the Arkansas game, uh, You know, coming off the edge, big-time pass rusher. It seems like they have used him some this spring thus far, an inside linebacker. Uh, I don't know what that's about, You know, where they're going with that, if that's just an experiment during the spring or, or what. Uh, but for a guy who was a freshman a year ago, made a huge name for himself as an as an edge rusher type, that is not exclusively the way that he's been used thus far this spring. So maybe something to kind of keep your eye on. Uh, let me see the rest of these rankings here for a moment because there's a couple of other things that you uh, probably want to point out here if you are a um, you know if if you are a Georgia fan looking at the rest of the SEC here for a moment. I'll also say this about Ohio State there as well. You know, when one of the things you see is you know Ohio State better chance of making the playoff, better chance of winning the national championship than Georgia and. Part of the reason you would say numerically that might make some sense is, well, Georgia's got to go through the SEC, whereas Ohio State's only got to go through the Big Ten. You know, the SEC on balance has been the better of the two leagues. But once again, numerically, what this does not seem to fully account for is the fact that, you know, we still have another year of divisions in the Big Ten as well. In the last two years, Ohio State has sort of found it pretty tough to beat Michigan, even though in every one of these, like, you know, power rating situations, point spread situations, all the kind of stuff where numbers tell the story – Ohio State's always going to be ranked ahead of Michigan. But what we've seen in the field the last couple of years is a situation where numbers can't seem to fully account for toughness. And Michigan's just been tougher than Ohio State. And, you know, last year we saw Michigan beat Ohio State in Columbus, yet we were led to believe if those two teams rematched. Ohio State would have still been the point spread favorite. And, you know, if you follow the math part of this, I guess you sort of understand that. But at a certain point, I think you're left to conclude, and this is why some of us maybe care less about analytics than we used to. When you see the games on the field, I think you're left to conclude that there is something about the toughness of a Michigan in comparison to an Ohio State that the math can't seem to account for. And I would say that's probably worth considering when it comes to Ohio State being ranked preseason FPI number one again. All right, so other SEC teams here for a moment. Keep your eye on Tennessee at 12. That's probably lower than they want to be, but maybe higher than some folks think they should be. I think that Tennessee is a fascinating swing type team this year. And, and just for a moment, I'm not trying to be, you know, Georgia fan, you know, rival hater. I'm trying to be as fair and a balanced and objective as I can possibly be. I think Tennessee, the one thing you can know for certain is the Vols are going to score some points this year, whether it's Joe Milton that plays the entire year as quarterback, whether Nico Imaleva eventually sort of sits in there. You know, Josh Heupel has proven enough in his two years in the job. You can expect Tennessee to score a lot of points. But trying to figure out exactly what the Vols' record is going to be when they host Georgia in November, listen, I think there's a chance they could be undefeated. Could they win on the road at Alabama? I think there's a chance they could. But I think there's also a chance when you look at some relatively narrow expected point spreads, there's a chance the Vols have lost a couple times there as well. So 12 for me, in terms of the actual ranking, seems like a pretty good over-under for Tennessee. They could be higher than that when they host Georgia in November. They could be lower than that. I think they're a little bit of a swing team. Maybe one of the more surprising things you see in here, uh, probably a couple things just sort of based on overall expectations, the fact that Ole Miss comes in 16th, keep in mind that's a team that Georgia plays. So Georgia will host uh, Ole Miss relatively late in the season. By that point in time, a lot of the hay will be in the barn for the uh, Rebels. But this is where the ESPN FBI stuff I do think is somewhat valuable is that on a per-play basis a year ago, Ole Miss was 
you know, statistically sound enough, they can rank in the top 20 right now of the ESPN FPI to begin the season. What that means is, is they didn't get a great year last year at quarterback from Jackson Dart, the USC transfer who was supposed to have a, you know, a lot of you know, accolades uh, connected to him when he came in there. Ultimately, Dart kind of unimpressed, was unimpressive at, at Ole Miss. And this year, I think it'd be you know, expected that he won't be the starting quarterback. My guess is that Spencer Sanders, the recent Oklahoma State transfer, is likely going to be the starting quarterback at Ole Miss. So when you have a team that sort of ranks relatively high on the analytic scale, if you can pair that with better quarterback play, then you have created a pretty dangerous team. And we don't know yet if that's what Ole Miss is going to be, but that's where the analytic stuff, the FPI type stuff, the SP plus type stuff, that's where I think it can be valuable. If a team looks decently strong, you add to that quarterback, all of a sudden that team's gotten more dangerous. A little bit of the same thing with Florida there too, ranked in the top 20 here. They come in, I guess, tied for 18th with Texas A&M. You can insert your own joke there about the Aggies. But nonetheless, Florida's a team that Georgia plays right now that does not appear they have quarterback, but Florida's not so far off the radar they couldn't at least be dangerous as I said before uh, when it comes to LSU one of the templates for teams that surprise in the SEC oftentimes it's a second year coach you know last year Billy Napier took a lot of growing pains in the SEC now you've heard us say before because we are Gatorators around here we don't expect Florida to be very good the absence of quarterback one of the big reasons why but you should at least take the ESPN FPI stuff seriously enough to know that Florida's overall roster isn't quite so barren and their overall level of performance they did beat Utah after all last season their overall level of performance wasn't quite so embarrassing they couldn't at least be somewhat better than expected this year I'm not predicting that to happen nor do I think you should predict that to happen but you should be at least be on guard for if there's a team that exceeds its season win total or a team that you know probably plays or could play a little better than on paper they're projected to take these kinds of rankings and ratings at least seriously enough to consider that as a uh, possibility so a lot to digest and a lot to figure out and over the course of the next few weeks next couple of months we get a chance to do that we know georgia's preseason number one we know georgia is you know the odds on favorite to go for three and 23 but what stands in their way of the teams that georgia plays in the regular season who will be better than we think almost some almost certainly somebody will and maybe in the case of one or two examples a team could end up being worse or even far worse than we think all of these pieces kind of coming together around the dogs here this year something to consider and we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal Caribbean. something else for you to consider there as well for those of you who can't be on board the dog nation cruise next week you can have your own kind of made for a home cruise experience uh, especially when you enjoy our friends at the finish long drink kind of setting yourself up for a great spring and summer for whatever reason i just think the finish long drink goes great here with whatever you have going on this warm weather time of the year we're going to be in the 80s today sitting out by a pool back patio deck somewhere like that just great to use the uh, and enjoy the finished long drink with that and there's four different varieties of the finished long drink you can uh, enjoy as you do that long drink cranberry long drink strong that's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar for those of you working on that swimsuit figure uh give you a chance to do that you get your physique looking right long drink traditional blue can got the grapefruit flavor the gin kick that's probably my favorite of all of these you can try and figure out which one your favorite is there as well in fact if you go to the longdrink.com today you can uh put in your zip code you can find out near you where you can pick some up you can also hear about the long drink story there there as well kind of a cool thing kind of starts in Helsinki back in the 1950s when the summer games were there as a way of celebrating that it's been in America now for a couple of years now it's in Georgia and pretty much everywhere so go to the longdrink.com put in your zip code find out more about that and of course we'll see the finished long drink again as a part of around the doghouse coming up on Friday but glad to have them 
a part of everything we have going on here around Dog Nation. As we say goodbye to you here today, uh, Jeff Centel always has great stories, dognation.com, looking at top recruits for UGA, their reasoning for making the decisions they make. I have to say there's a lot of respect to be given for this one. Connor Riley also shared this on Twitter there as well, so we'll give him a golden shoe for this too. Uh, he puts on Twitter, here's the real reason K.J. Boland is a uh, five-star prospect. Of course, K.J., the uh, terrific uh, two-sports, you know, two-way star at Buford, probably a defensive back if he were to come to Georgia. Uh, this is why he's a must-get for UGA. The man has great taste. And so what uh, K.J. Bolden told Jeff Sintel is, the school I'm going to go to definitely has to have a raising cane. So those of you who ever tried that before, he says, I just like that place. That's the best. Whenever it happens, they better have a raising cane. So that's good news because obviously Georgia does. Uh, glad to see KJ Bolden enjoying that. And glad to see him making his preferences known. And a very good story with Jeff there at dognation.com. Great job by Connor for sharing that there as well. Golden shoes all around. Of course, lousy stinking Gators. They got a beat down coming their way. 192 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Manager.